Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning as we uh, come to God's Word. And the portion of His Word that we're going to be looking at this morning is 1 Samuel 26. So we're in the midst of a series in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're uh, going to look at chapter 26 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the passage is going to be projected on the screens in front of you in just a moment, so you can follow along with the reading there. But if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, then uh, what we're about to read in this chapter is going to sound very, very familiar. In the words of the great philosopher Yogi Berra, it's going to be deja vu all over again. Uh, that's Yogi Berra, not Yogi Bear, in case you were curious. But anyway, um, and, and the reason why it's going to feel like deja vu all over again is because chapter 24 and chapter 26 mirror each other in the events that take place. In fact, so much so that some scholars have tried to say that, that these are just actually one event. It's not two separate events, but a single event that are just maybe told from different points of view or a little bit of adaptations that have taken place. Because they can't imagine, they can't fathom how it is that two events could be so similar. But we can imagine that, can't we? I mean, we experience this like deja vu all over again all the time in our lives, right? We have a conversation with someone and it seems like we had that same conversation like three years later, right? Like things in our lives take place that look like things that have already taken place in our lives. And that's what's happening to David, He's having this deja vu moment, and in the midst of it, David's going to respond to the opportunity that's presented to him. And in his response, we see how we are to respond, that how we are supposed to walk, how we are supposed to live when the Lord provides us with opportunity. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekelah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekelah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped round him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay round him. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will, I, will do, I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way. And Saul returned to his place. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it, we acknowledge that we are a needy people. We're in need of your leading and your directing. Father, we do not know the way in which we are to go, but you know the way. For you, Lord Jesus, are the way and the truth and the life. And so we ask that we now, as we come to you, Father, that we would come through the name of Jesus and that you would lead us and that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I imagine that uh, when you've been trying to make a decision, when you've been trying to figure out what it is that the Lord is doing, how he is leading you, what you would have, what he would have for your future. I imagine that as you've been trying to figure out what, how you are supposed to live and where you are supposed to go, I, I, I imagine that people in your life have said, well, you just need to look for an open door, right? You need to find the opportunity that is presented before you. You need to look for an open door and you just simply need to walk through it. 
And you keep walking through these open doors again and again and again until you find a closed door and then you stop. That's the Lord's way of leading us, of directing us, right? We've, we've heard that, right? I mean, surely you've heard that. In fact, maybe you've said it. I've said it. I said it about when we came here, right? We just kept walking through the next open door, the next open door, and the Lord never closed one. And so here we are, you know, which I'm thankful for, by the way. Um, but, but I've said that, and you've said it, and we've probably thought about this. And, and that's oftentimes a helpful way of approaching our decisions, right? If there's an open door, an opportunity that's before us, we keep moving until that opportunity is taken away. But what if? What if opportunity doesn't mean we have permission to move forward? What do I mean by that? Well, when are there times or when would a situation arise when an open door or an opportunity would not be an invitation to capitalize on that opportunity? So kids, think about like this. So we're in the month of October, which in my house, Cole has declared October is the best month of the year. It's because his birthday is in October. <laughs> but also, uh, there's playoff baseball and there's Halloween, right? And so if, uh, if you're like my family, then maybe there's some extra candy in your house right now because of Halloween. And your parents have said to you, kids, like, you're not allowed to touch that can candy, right? You have to wait till the 31st. And so you listen to them, but, but a day arises, you know, maybe it's a Thursday and it's been a tough week and a tough day and you've been working really hard. You did all your schoolwork, you've been obeying your parents, all your chores are done and the end of the day comes and you are ready just to relax. We're going to watch some TV and I want some candy. It's calling to you, right? A Kit Kat, a peanut butter cup, a Snickers bar. It's calling to you, and, and you know exactly where the candy is stored. You know what cabinet it's in, but you also know your mom told you to wait. But you find yourself on this day in the kitchen, and mom's upstairs, and dad's out in the yard, and you start thinking to yourself, well, if they didn't want me to have this candy, why did they tell me what cabinet it was in? And if they didn't want me to have this candy, why did they leave me alone with it? Surely... This opportunity gives me permission to take the candy. Right, kids? Or wrong? See, what about, what does it mean, or, or does it mean sometimes that, that we have an opportunity, but we don't have permission? Do those opportunities arise? What are you to do? Does an open door mean that we are supposed to walk through it? Well, that's the question that David's confronted with in this passage. You see, David has another opportunity to take Saul's life. And so David and his nephew, Abishai, that's his nephew, he's also one of his soldiers, they stalk into Saul's camp and they sneak up to the sleeping Saul. And Abishai says in verse 8, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. You see, Abishai sees this as an opportunity that God has provided, an open door to finally be done with Saul. And we see how his mind's working, don't we? Why would God allow us to sneak into the camp? Why would God put them into a deep sleep? That's what we're told in verse 12. Why would God again provide David with this opportunity? Basically, Abishai is saying to David, this is your one shot. Don't miss your chance. 
Opportunity only comes once, but, but actually it's come a second time, so don't miss it now. And if we're honest, that's probably the advice we would have given, right? I mean, we'd start to think about the way that this is playing out. And maybe we'd start to think, well, well, maybe David was supposed to kill Saul back in chapter 24 when he had the chance. And because he did it, now God's giving him another opportunity. So don't miss it, David. This is your shot now. But does opportunity equal permission? Does an open door mean you should walk through it? Well, look how David responds in verses 9 through 11. David says to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. You see, David agrees with Abishai that this is an opportunity, but it's an opportunity to obey. It's an opportunity to obey. You see, David realizes that he is not to take things into his own hands. He understands that simply because an opportunity has presented itself for him to kill Saul, that that doesn't mean God has given him permission to kill Saul. He says, do not destroy him. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand against him. I mean, y'all, think about this situation. David could have killed Saul very easily, right? He, he snuck into the camp, and no one knew that he was there, right? I mean, they have this conversation, which is kind of funny to think about if we could put ourselves there, right? Like, they're standing over Saul's sleeping body, and they are whispering, right? about what they're going to do with him, and yet the Lord put him into a deep sleep so he doesn't rise, he doesn't, he's not awakened from this. And so they could have killed Saul and snuck back out, and only two other people would have known, Abishai and the other soldier. Right? They, they were ninja-like. They could have assassinated the king, and no one would know. When they woke up in the morning, they would have just assumed that it was a member of his own army. David would finally be done with Saul and Israel could move on to a better king. It sounds good, doesn't it? But David knows that this opportunity doesn't mean permission. Permission to do what he wants or what we want or what is most convenient or what is most expedient. No, but an opportunity is always permission to obey. Even if obedience means waiting. And that's what David's going to have to do. Look at verse 10. He says, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. David doesn't know when Saul's time will end, and he doesn't know how it will come about. But he's convinced that, that it will come, right? He starts to imagine the different possibilities. Maybe the Lord will strike him down. So maybe he's thinking about Nabal, what just happened in chapter before, right? David had the opportunity to kill him, but he didn't. He held his sword, but the Lord took care of it. The Lord struck him down, and so maybe the Lord will do this to Saul. Or maybe Saul will just die in old age, or, or maybe Saul will go to war and he'll be struck down in battle. This could take a month, it could take a year, it could take a decade. David doesn't know the Lord's timing or how the Lord will work. 
but he obeys. And friends, it's that not knowing the Lord's timing and how the Lord exactly is going to work? It's that uncertainty that is our problem. Because we're not sure what the Lord's going to do or how he's going to work in our marriage or in the life of that wayward child or in our dead-end job or in that thorn in our side that we can't seem to get rid of. And because we don't exactly know how he's going to work or the timing in which he's going to work, what do we do? We rush. We take matters into our own hands. We see an open door or an opportunity as meaning we now have permission to move forward. The theologian Dale Ralph Davis, he put it this way. He said, God's ways may not be clear, but our way is at least enough of it to know what obedience requires and he's right we may not know the timing or the way in which the lord is going to lead but all we need to know right now is that we need to obey that regardless of opportunity david and we are called to obey and not just to obey in this opportunity but also this opportunity provides the occasion to reflect To reflect, so David and Abishai, they take Saul's spear, and instead of jamming it into Saul, they walk off with it. And with this water jug, and they quietly leave camp, and they get far enough away, and David rouses Saul from his sleep and awakens the commander, Abner, and he reveals that David had the opportunity to kill Saul but didn't. And then David says in verse 18, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So you see, David is calling Saul to reflect upon David's actions and to consider if David actually deserves to be pursued, to have his life threatened. But what's amazing is David's not just calling Saul to reflect. David's going to reflect upon his life himself. Did you see it in verse 19? David said, if it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me. So think about that. David is actually saying, maybe it's the Lord who's working in Saul's life to to threaten me, to seek me out. Basically, David's saying, maybe this isn't just his fault. Maybe I've contributed to this as well. Now, there's no question Saul has sinned. And there's no denying that Saul has contributed to this situation. But even in the midst of this, David takes a moment to reflect. Maybe I too have contributed to this mess. I can't help but think that maybe David has learned from his experience with Nabal. Right? Because David could have killed him. And he would have killed him. And he would have sinned had not Abigail used her wise words to stay his hand. 
And so I can't help but think that David maybe has in the back of his mind, like, I almost sinned before when I thought I was right, when I thought I was doing what I should. So maybe, maybe it's happening again. He takes a moment to reflect upon what the Lord might be showing him about himself. Then maybe David has sinned. And if he has sinned, David will repent. That's why he says, the Lord will receive my sacrifice. David will offer a sacrifice. But he reflects upon himself. And y'all, this takes a great deal of maturity. I mean, think about it. To say, to ask, to reflect, that maybe in this situation, the Lord is revealing something of my own sin to me. Maybe in the midst of this trial, whatever it might be, maybe the Lord is using this to expose my own idols, my own sin. I mean, just think about the cultural moment in which we find ourselves, the situation in which we are in, right? COVID, racial unrest, riots, civil disobedience, political chaos. And like that was just this past week, right? <laughs> Forget the last number of months. And in this time, it's easy to think that the world is just going crazy, right? That, that people have lost their minds, that these reasonable people that I've surrounded myself with, well, where is their reasonableness now, right? It's easy to think that, isn't it? To wonder, what is wrong with them? Now, I'm not saying that there isn't sin around us. There is. And I'm not saying that we should turn a blind eye to the problems in this world. We shouldn't. But if we only look at the sin around us and we only focus on the problems out there, we are missing out on an opportunity to have our idols, our failings, our sins exposed and repent of them. And so maybe we need to say, Lord, if I have sinned, hear my repentance. Lord, if, if I have contributed to this situation, show it to me. You see, this situation before David presents him with the opportunity to obey and to reflect. But finally, it presents him with the opportunity to depend. So Saul hears David's words and he acknowledges his own sin, which is amazing, right? Saul says, I have sinned. He acknowledges it, he confesses it, and he invites David to trust him, to come back into Saul's presence. Saul invites David to depend upon the king of Israel, to depend upon Saul. Now, just as an aside, we have no idea if Saul's apology was sincere or not in this moment, right? But we have heard him say similar things before. In chapter 24, when David revealed, I, I could have taken your life, but I instead only took a piece of your robe. I could have killed you, but I didn't. What did Saul say? David, you're more righteous than I. You have repaid me good. I have repaid you evil. May the Lord reward you. In chapter 24, David or Saul was saying all the right things, right? It sounded like he was repenting. It sounded like he was turning away from his sin, right? He was acknowledging the righteousness of David. And then two chapters later, he's still seeking David's life. So maybe here in verse 21, when Saul says all the right things, maybe, maybe we're not supposed to receive them as trustworthy. 
In fact, throughout Saul's life, what he's shown is that he's not trustworthy. And so when he invites David to come depend upon him, I think this is why David doesn't depend on him. Why David doesn't return. Did you see that? Saul said, come back into my presence. And David, he didn't even, he didn't even respond, did he? He kind of changed the subject. I'm not even going to tell you no. He just basically says what? He says, you know what? I'm going to go on. <laughs> you know, may the Lord see me as precious as I have seen you. See, David doesn't depend upon Saul. Instead, David depends on the Lord. Look what he says in verses 23 through 24. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. These are actually the last words that David speaks to Saul. These are the last words that David is going to say to Saul. They don't know that this is their last conversation. But the very last words that David speaks to Saul are, May the Lord deliver me out of all tribulation. The last words of David that ring in Saul's ears are words of dependence. Dependence not in Saul's goodwill or in David's own obedience or in his own ability to reflect upon himself. They are words of dependence on the Lord. That in David's time of trial, David knew that this was an opportunity to depend. And regardless of our circumstance or our situation, every day is an opportunity to depend upon the Lord. David says, in verse 23, that the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. He's speaking about his own actions here. That he didn't act in unrighteousness or unfaithfulness against Saul. But ultimately, friends, when we hear those words, it should make us think, well, well yes, the Lord does reward those who are righteous and faithful, but, but I'm not him. You see, I'm not the one who I should depend upon. What we need is one who is faithful, one who is righteous, and that isn't you. And it isn't me, and ultimately it isn't even David, but it is Jesus. You see, this theme of righteousness and faithfulness, it actually shows up again in Revelation chapter 19. When the Apostle John is describing the rider on the white horse, Jesus, and he says his name is faithful and true, and he is the one who will judge the world in righteousness. You see, the righteous and faithful one that we need is the King of Kings, the one who is greater than King David, the one who is more righteous and faithful than even King David on this day, who we need is the Lord of Lords, the one that in every circumstance, in every opportunity, we depend. And so, friends, don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity that is before you right now, and this afternoon, and tomorrow, and next week, and every day of your life, that whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whether it is a time of trial or a time of ease, in every situation, we have the opportunity to obey the Lord, and to reflect upon ourselves, and to depend upon Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you 
We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your righteous son who is faithful, who has obeyed you and has gone to the cross for our sin. Jesus is the righteous and faithful one in whom we depend. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that regardless of what our situation may be, regardless of the opportunity that might be before us, that we would obey you, that we would look at ourselves and that we would depend upon you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray and God's people said together, Amen.